Malachi chapter 1. The setting of the book of Malachi is, uh, is pretty straightforward, and it should not surprise us as we look at the book of Malachi uh, that the children of Israel have again wandered into sin. And wander is not a good word. They've chosen to sin. Uh, please understand in your Christian life, everything is a choice. We don't fall into sin. The devil doesn't make you do it. It is untrue. We often say, I can't stop, I can't resist. That is not Bible. The children of Israel have sinned. And before the book of Malachi was actually written, God pronounced judgment on the separate nations of Israel, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah. They've gone into captivity, and they've come back out of captivity. God has done tremendous things considering what has happened in the past. Uh, the book of Malachi... Uh, is the last book of the New Testament, not just in order in our Bible, but also in chrono chronological order. This is the last word of God in the Old Testament time period before the coming of the Messiah. And the children of Israel have come back to the land. So we've gone through the time period of rebuilding the walls. We've gone through the time period of rebuilding the temple. The priests have been, has been cleansed. Those that were in the priesthood that shouldn't be there were taken out, and the ones that were supposed to be there were re-instructed in the proper behavior of the priesthood. They've begun to be active. And we see that when that begins to happen, God begins to work in his people again. Yet when we reach the book of Malachi, we don't find God saying, hey, good job, you're doing what I told you to do. We find that again, the children of Israel have drifted from Jehovah. You see, the book of Malachi is an interesting book. Uh, a number of people who have written commentaries on the book of Malachi uh, will applaud Malachi for his humor. Uh, in, in the context of humor, we don't mean this is funny. That means he's being sarcastic. Okay, And when we, we will work our way through the book of Malachi, don't get scared. We're not reading the whole book this morning. All right, There are eight points. Some of them will be tonight, so you can have hope. You're still going to make it to the buffet before everyone else, all right? The truth of the matter is, as we look at the book of Malachi, it's, it's a series of questions and responses and rebuttals is really what it is. God makes a statement, and the children of Israel say, what are you talking about? And then God says, let me tell you. And I find as we read through the book of Malachi, we tend to say, well, that was Old Testament, these, you know, the, the priests and the sacrifices, but we're New Testament now, right? And so these should be problems that we shouldn't have. But if we read these and we pay attention, these are all problems that we struggle with every day. And so it would be wise of us to learn this lesson. The truth of the matter is, even after returning from the captivity into the land that God had promised them and had brought them back to, the blessings of God have been poured out upon this nation because they have come back to their homeland, and yet they chose not to focus on the blessings. They chose to focus on all of the other things that distracted them and pulled them away from the worship of God. And reality, if you read the book of Malachi, the children of Israel have become lazy. They've become disinterested. They've become rebellious. They don't care. Now, they're still doing. It's not like they're not going to church in the Old Testament context. They just... 
show up. And I find a lot of times that's what we do. We're here, but that's not good enough. And so as we look at this this morning, understand this is the last warning to Israel before the coming of the Messiah. And what is the context? Repent, return, because the Messiah is coming. And I find tremendous application to us today. Because if we're a Christian, our goal every day ought to be repent, return, because the Messiah is coming back. And so as we looked at this today, I'm going to, Lord willing, the Lord's going to tell you through me what these questions are about. And then it's your job to look inside. You see, the interesting thing is, the, the, the question, and, and I didn't realize this until I started studying this book, the questions that are asked here are not rhetorical questions, but they're questions designed to provoke a response inside of you. There's no accusations. Right? There's a statement being made, and the children of Israel get kind of cranked up about why is God asking us this question? What do you mean? But as they're asking this question, it's very similar to what Jesus does with the Pharisees. He'll ask them a question in the New Testament, and inside, it's like, ooh, well, we don't like that. And they respond in anger. And then God asks another question. What do the questions do? They point out the sin. Very rarely. Now, it does happen. But very rarely does Jesus Christ come up to somebody and say, you're living a wicked life. You need to get right. He says, what does the Bible say? And inside, the Holy Spirit does the dividing. And we see that in Malachi. You see, these probing questions give way to accusations that come not from outside, but from within the heart. And this story and the setting of the story reminds me so much of the day and age in which we live. Our churches, we as Christians, have become apathetic. We're content just to get by. I read my Bible. I go to church. Every once in a while, I pass out a track to kind of salve my conscience, and that's life. You don't understand how much I have going on. You don't understand how busy I am. You don't understand what could possibly happen if I did God, what God tells me to do. And it's a very, a very scary comparison. And this, this, these questions in Malachi will draw us together to some serious examination regarding what in our lives causes us to drift from God. Understand that, 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 that departure from God isn't a split-second thing. It's a progression thing. But praise the Lord when we confess our sins. It's not a progression back to him. God is there. He promises, we read in, the, in chapter number three, God promises if you return, I'm right there waiting for you. And so thank the Lord that that doesn't take the time that it could for us to get away. This clarion call Malachi is repent and return for the Messiah is coming. So let's read here a little bit and then we'll have a word of prayer. Malachi chapter one, verse number one says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel By Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Jesus, through the prophet Malachi, will respond and say this, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. 
and they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Verse number five, and your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Said the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Father, would you meet with us this morning? Lord, I need you this morning. I need you to speak through me. Father, would you help me to be tender to your spirit to only say what ought to be said? Father, would you help me to examine myself that I might be right before you in these areas we'll talk about? Father, would you help us, each one, to seek your face this morning? Lord, all of this is for your glory. Would you show your power, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at these questions, and there are eight of them in the, in the uh, book of Malachi, um, we will look at them individually. We'll look at some of them tonight, some of them this morning, and some of them tonight. All right? And reality of the, this message is you need to look at you. The truth of the matter is nobody can really tell what's going on on the inside. All of you look very nice. You're here in church. You're where you're supposed to be. You have your Bible out. You're paying attention. What more could God require of us? And the reality is so much more. A Savior who gave his life for us has the right to demand anything. And yet when we look at the Scriptures, he doesn't demand that much, if we're honest. And so as we look at these questions, I want you to consider these. Now, one side note before we jump in. In the book of Malachi, six times out of six, six of these eight questions, we'll use the word wherein. All right? Uh, the first question says, wherein hast thou loved us? It may be beneficial to you to understand what we're talking about, to, to, to translate that into modern-day English. You know what they're saying? What are you talking about? What do you mean? You ever had anybody say that to you? Right? Uh, my job, one of my jobs is to be the administrator of the Christian school. Uh, I get that question all the time. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> you laugh because you've had children say that to you. What do you mean? That's what the nation of Israel... Now, now, do not miss this. Who's speaking to the nation of Israel? Jehovah. The one who never changes. The one who knows all things. And yet they have the audacity or the disrespect, one or the other, possibly both, to say, what do you mean? So let's look here at some areas we need to look at in our relationship to God. Hey, there's the title in case you didn't get it. Repent and return. Okay. Verse number two, the Bible says, And I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? One of the first areas that we as Christians can drift towards in our daily walk is to be resentful towards the Lord. Now, Wednesday night, we talked about how God works on our behalf. 
every day of our life. He pours out His blessings on us. And yet so often, what do we lose sight of? We lose sight of what God has done, and we look at what's happening to us. Being resentful is a, is a very common thing. If you've lived any matter of time, you've met someone who's resentful. We, sometimes we call it being bitter. And they, life is just not fair. You won't believe what has happened to me. And it should not be this way. If it happened to somebody else, fine. But why me? And there's that resentment, that bitterness that builds up inside of us. Why? Well, because we're focused on the wrong thing. But also because we've lost sight of this. See, as you read farther on, and we will, you're going to find what has happened. Not just this current generation in Malachi, but the generations before have walked away from God's law. What do we struggle with today? We struggle with Christians, I'm not being mean, who've walked away from God's Word. Oh, I still read it, Mr. Davies. I agree. You should. But there's a big difference between reading and application. Are we resentful? Now, understand what the children of Israel are saying. The God of the universe who has protected them, not just in the past, not just through the captivity, but have brought them back to the land that God promised them, say, you haven't loved us. What are you talking about? It's almost as if, and I can, as Malachi is giving this, I can understand it. Oh, really? God doesn't love you? What world are we living in when we say, God, why us? Why'd you do this to me? Maybe God doesn't even love me. It's a special level of ignorance that comes from selfishness that would say something like this to the God of the universe. And then God has a response. He says, you remember that brother that Jacob had that was technically a descendant that should be blessed? I didn't bless him. You know why? Because you came from Jacob. I've blessed not just you, but the entire nation of Israel. Why? Because I love you. And yet, what do we do? We question God's very character. You don't say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to trust you. We say, God, what are you doing? I don't understand where we're going. This is a terrible. You should do something different. This, you should have done this. And we begin to question it, who God is. This is not a question of what God's done. Because the truth of the matter is, if we were to sit down and start thinking back through the last week, or even the last day, and say, what has God done for me? We'd come up with a list that'd take us a while to get through. But we question, we don't, we don't talk about that. We, God, why are you doing this to me? And we get resentful. And we question God's character. There's a lot of things I can put up with. People can say all they want about me. They can talk about me, say bad things. Worse has been said before, right? I've been insulted by better people. Okay, whatever. Right? The truth of the matter is, people said a lot of things. But when they begin to question your character, that's a different ballgame. The children of Israel, they're doing that to God. They're saying, God, you don't love us. You don't care about us. While they're sitting in the land, he promised them, and I come back from the captivity. This, this kind of statement, the, the, the resentment, the anger, the bitterness that, comes, that makes someone come to this statement, it comes from a heart that's unthankful. Understand, thankfulness 
is the key to contentment. You struggle with being content it's because you're not thankful for what you have. That doesn't, being thankful doesn't mean, well, I'm just going to keep what I have and we're just going to, you know, it doesn't matter if my shoes have holes in them, I'm just going to wear them because I'm thankful for what God's given me. Okay, it doesn't mean we have to live in poverty. But what does it mean? We have to be thankful for what God's given us. Every one of us lives in America. That should be enough for us to be thankful for. You say, Mr. Davies, you don't understand what a mess our nation is. No, I do. But I've traveled the world. The poorest in America are more wealthy than 80% of the population of the world. So don't tell me we have it rough. But the truth of the matter is we must be thankful. Turn with me, stick your finger here in in Malachi. Turn to Psalm chapter 52. Psalm chapter 52. Understand when someone has this bitterness, this resentment, this anger, whether it's against God, against you, against someone else, it comes from one thing. I want to point this out to you, Psalm chapter 52. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. But look at verse number two. Thy tongue deviseth mischief. Did you ever talk yourself into a lie? Now, don't raise your hand. We don't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody. But we do it all the time, don't we? We convince ourselves of something that is not true. Why? Because we want to feel bad for ourselves. That's the truth of the matter. But read the second part of verse number two. Like a sharp razor, not the tongue, the mischiefs. Like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. We can talk ourselves into a lie that cut our life apart. Because we choose not to accept the truth of God's word. So, the question this morning, are you resentful? Now, let me caution you. Sometimes the first answer that comes to mind isn't the true answer. Because we're going to read the rest of the book of Malachi, and every time their first response is incorrect. Is there something you've held against God? Something you refuse to let go? Why? Because you don't want to let go. Hey, don't hold on to a mistake just because you spent a long time making it. Are you resentful? Look down at verse number 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Lord, what are you talking about? We haven't been rude to you. One of the things that distinguishes young people today is their response to adults. All right, now, I'm, I am an adult. I still consider myself young, but I'm working on that switch, right? Now, I know, you're, Mr. Davies, you're still a spring chicken. Well, this spring chicken's got a lot of issues right now, okay? So, I, I don't feel springy. Of course, it's the fall, so. Young people who respond with a yes, sir, yes, ma'am, who are respectful, especially in their disagreement with authority, 
distinguish themselves as young people with character. But I've had young people that I've talked to that didn't have that. And their response, if we're honest, is rude. And this response by the nation of Israel is rude. God has an excellent point. He says, hey, if I'm a father, part of being a father, whether the father deserves it or not, is honor. And that honor continues not until the young person leaves the house. It continues until that person dies. You say, well, my father's already gone. You still ought to honor them. The honor is not based on what they've done. It's based on your attitude. Jehovah says, if I'm a father, where's my honor? He says, if I'm a master, where's the fear that ought to be in every servant of a master? It's not there. We go to Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Where does fear begin? Oh, miss, it's here. Fear, now, now let's, let's, let's define what fear is. We think of fear in the context of parents, siblings, is when dad goes like this, the kid ducks. That's not fear. That should not be happening. The word fear in your Bible literally is an honor-respect term. That the young person shows deference to the parent because of their position, not because of what they said. And the children of Israel say, what are you talking about? We've honored you. Now, we read the book and we're like, no, you haven't. It's not even close. You see, what is the issue here? The children of Israel have denied who God is and what respect he's worthy of. Let me give you an example. You apply it in your heart. You ready? My children sit in church on Sunday nights, some of them on Sunday morning. One of the things after a certain age, keyword after a certain age, they're not allowed to color in church. No drawing pictures. Why? They're old enough to pay attention. Why do we make them pay attention? Because God is trying to speak to their heart. It's a respect thing. Why do we teach our young people, yes ma'am, no ma'am? Because it's a respect thing. Why do we come to church? It's a respect thing. You say, well, I come to church for the fellowship. That's not a bad reason to come, but that's not the right reason. I come to church because of the singing. That's not a bad reason, but that's not the right reason. I come to church to hear the gospel preached. That's a good reason. But foundationally, you know why we come to church? Because God said to be in church when the doors are open. You see, when we refuse to recognize God's kingship, we've missed who God is. If you, you won't have time to do this this morning, but if you look at Luke chapter 6, verse number 46, the Lord makes a very powerful statement. He asks a question. He says, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Imagine this. Let's pick on somebody. Brother Snyder, he's a friend of mine. Brother Snyder rolls into work tomorrow morning. And his boss says, okay, Mr. Schneider, this is what you want to do. And Mr. Schneider says, no, I don't want to do that. Run that back me again? No, I don't want to do this. 
Brother Snyder behaves like that for a couple of days. He's going to have to find himself a new job. Why? He's talking to his boss. Luke chapter 6, what's Jesus saying? You call me the boss. You're the boss. You're the boss. I'm not doing what you tell me to. That's not a boss. Why? Because he's not Lord of my life unless I obey. And yet, what do we say? Lord, I'm here. I'll sing your praises. I'll read your word. But what's going to happen? I'm not really interested in doing what you tell me to do. I'll be in church. That's enough. You see, I wonder why Israel was so backslidden. Why were they so apathetic? Because they didn't remember who God was. This is one of the reasons why most of the songs we sing around here are about Jesus. It's good for us to be reminded what he's done. When we lose sight of that, we've lost sight of who Jesus is. We ought always to honor and fear the Lord. Why? Because that's where knowledge comes from, and knowledge leads us to wisdom. Wisdom is what teaches us not just what to do, but when to do it and how to do it. So the question, are are you being rude to God? Now, nobody says, yes, I'm rude to God. We would never say that, but is that how we behave? Are we being rude? Not only do we see resentment and rudeness, look at verse number 7. You offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? What are you talking about? And that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. Understand, as we look at the Old Testament, and you know this, but every sacrifice that was brought to the Lord had to be pure. If we read the rest of chapter chapter number one, uh, God calls them out for this. You have a pure lamb, but then you bring me one that's damaged. You say, well... It's good enough for God. We do that all the time. Well, you know, I was up late watching a game last night, so I only have five minutes to have devotions because I slept in too late. Is that the kind of gift God wants? Well, you know, I really ought to be in church this morning, but, you know, we got in late from vacation last night. Well, you know, it would really be good for me to show up at church ready to go, prayed up, confessed my sin, ready to hear from God, but, you know, i got some other stuff i got to do this morning. Is God not worthy? We say, well, of course he is. Okay, then why? You see, this idea really falls into the category of ritualism. We just show up because... This is one of the reasons why pastor will change the order of service, just to throw people off. Sometimes we get so in the habit of doing things every day. I told Miss Thompson, I almost called you Wesley. Miss Thompson this morning, the first and the second song were not next to each other. She's like, what? His pastor uses that. The first and second song are stacked together. It's not right or wrong or indifferent. It's not biblical. It's just, a, you know, we decided to do that. I told her, don't worry tonight. We're going to do the first and second song next to each other so everybody can go back to normal. All right? Truth of the matter is, we are so consumed with just doing what we know people expect us to do. I am so tired. I am so tired of people saying, well, I'm going to do this. Why are you going to do that? Well, that's because what my family expects me to do. That's a dumb reason. I don't care what the thing is. Everything we do ought to be because God told me to do this. God gave me peace about doing this. God's given me direction about doing this. It shouldn't be, well, just because. You see, the children of Israel had forgotten 
the why of their worship. We talked about this at the beginning of school. We were with the teachers, not losing sight of the why. Why do we do what we do? Why do you get up in the morning and read your Bible? Why? You said, because I'm supposed to. That's not the right reason. You said, well, because I have to read my Bible for God to talk to me. That's a good reason, not the right reason. You read God's word. What does God want from his people? He wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with you. Gentlemen, your wife ever come to you and say, hey, we need to spend time together. And you know that doesn't mean we're going to sit down and watch the game together. Or sit down and watch a movie together. Right? If your wife's like mine, gentlemen, the movie is good, but it's only 10 minutes before. <laughs> right? We lost the why. Why do I spend time with my wife? Because I love her. Why does God desire to spend time with you? He loves you. Understand, we have to keep in focus the why. Spiritual and religious apathy. Do we know what the word apathy means? I teach young kids in school, so maybe I should define this. Apathy uh, is a teenager on Saturday morning. Fastest definition, okay? You might try to wake them up, but good luck. And then when they do go up, we ain't going to do anything. They're going to sit on the couch in their pajamas until there's a really, really, really good reason to change. That's apathy. Spiritual apathy is the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Close enough. What's the big deal? Really? I don't want, I don't want to. Spiritual and religious apathy lead to empty actions. You read in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus Christ calls out the Pharisees. What does he say? In a bunch of different places, he'll call them, you look like a cup. And the outside looks real clean, but you look at the inside, it's not clean. You're kind of like a sepulcher, a tomb. It's painted really nice on the outside, but you look inside, what's in there? Dead men's bones. We ought to do well to heed the corrections that Jesus Christ gave to the Pharisees because each one of us has the tendency to drift towards Phariseeism. Why? Honestly, it's easier. But we weren't called to do what's easy. We're called to do what's right. You see, the Israelites had treated Jehovah and the worship of Jehovah as a second thought. It's not really sacred. As one, growing up, one of the things that was taboo in the church I grew up with is young people on the platform. Now, it's not like that here, and so don't be like, oh, Mr. Davies thinks. I don't, okay? But in church growing up, children were not allowed on the platform at all for any reason. And every parent in church had the right to call out whoever's kid was up there on the platform messing around. You know, little kids come up and they're like, ooh, a step. Let's jump, all right? Or they'll run up the steps and run down the steps, all right? Now, here, things are a lot more relaxed and not in a bad way. But that was just one of those things, and we knew. The only reason you're going on the platform is if you're singing in the choir, you're singing special music, or you're the one preaching. Other than that, stay off. But the truth of the matter is we do well to remember the sacredness of what we're doing right now. Can I, can I be honest with you? A lot of people have visited our church. And for one reason or another, they say, ah, this is not the church for me. Perspective's wrong. The church isn't for you. The church is to worship God. 
You say, well, I don't really like the songs y'all sing. I wish you'd sing something different. Well, that's nice. And when we come to worship you, we'll sing whatever you want. But we didn't come to worship you. We came to worship him. You say, well, I don't really like wearing a tie. Amen. I agree. Why? I don't like ties. Right? Truth of the matter is, what did we come here to do? It's not about me. It's about our Savior. You see, look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. This caught my attention. And, okay, all of us, I'm not even going to ask for a raise of hands because I know all of us are busy. All of us are tired this morning. All of us have had a long week. All of us could come up with a list of 47 things that we'd much rather be doing right now, including but not limited to sleeping. Okay? That's why you should have taken a nap on Sunday afternoon because that's what you should do. Okay? Look at verse 13, chapter number 1. And ye said, the children of Israel said, Behold, what a weariness is it. It's just, oh, do I really have to go to church again? Oh, I don't really feel like going. Good. You fit in with the rest of us. I didn't get up this morning and say, Whoop! Going to church this morning, boys. <laughs> no, I was like, Well, if I don't go, nobody else is going to preach. So I probably should go. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> But, you know, sometimes we do get up and we're like, isn't Sunday supposed to be a day of rest? Why? We need to have church at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We do, don't we? It's so weary. But understand, this perspective is because of our focus not being where it's supposed to be. I will say to you this morning with 100% confidence, you show up, looking to hear from God, you will not leave disappointed. Every time we come to God's house, the table is spread with spiritual food for you. But if you show up and you're not paying attention, you're going to miss a meal. You show up and you're like, well, I like what the pastor said that time, but I don't know about this other thing. It's not a buffet. You don't get to pick and choose what you want out of God's word. You say, well, the preacher said it. Yeah, guess where it came from? Pastor Davis doesn't get up here and spout whatever he thought of that week. He comes to God's Word and says, God, what do you want me to say? And God's Word is supposed to be our sole source of faith and practice. So what's the issue? You see, sometimes we get so tied up in the ritualism of worshiping Jesus. Understand, that is a big pitfall for Christians. And then look at chapter number 2 and verse number 14. There's a number of different applications to this one, so hang on, we're going to cover some of them, okay? Verse number 14 has one word in it that caught my attention, and if you read this, the context, you find out what they're talking about. Verse number 14 says, Yet ye, that's Israel, say, Wherefore? What are you talking about? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant, did he, did, and did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. You say, what's the context of this? It seems like he's talking about adultery, and that would be an accurate application. But if you read up a little farther, he's talking about the children of Israel taking wives of the daughter's of the heathen. 
Now today, the context is a little different. The book of Malachi was written to a nation whose, uh, whose lineage was what God wanted them to stay within. Jews were only supposed to marry other Jews. There was never permission given by God. In fact, there was contradictions, not contradiction, consequences given to, by God for Jews who married outside of the Jewish faith. And so what, what are we worried about? What area are you worried about? Rejection. You say, what do you mean rejection? The children really said, God, you don't know what you're talking about. Have you seen all the women around here? But then those women over there, you know, in Moab or in Edom or over there with the Philistines, yeah. I think I'm going to let my son marry one of them. Why? Because he said, get her for me. That's what Samson said, right? I've been reading in the book of Genesis in my devotions, and we're reading about uh, Jacob and Esau. Um, and then uh, Jacob having sons, and that's a whole messed up family situation we're not going to go into. But then one of Jacob's daughters, when they move to where God wants them to be, decides to go hang out with the daughters of the heathen. And she ends up getting involved in a situation that she ought not to be in, and Jacob's sons lose it. They essentially go and murder an entire town. Why? Because this is not to be. What happens so many times to us? Now, Lord willing, when, now, okay, we can't change the past, but let's talk about our children. That way it's not so personal. All right, when our children go to get married, what are we looking for? We're looking for a Christian. Amen? A Christian. We're not letting them marry someone who's not saved. It's not, we don't marry to work on a project. Okay, even though every husband is a project of sorts, but not a spiritual project. Well, he's not saved. We're going to have to get him saved. That's a bad choice. Statistics are very much against you. But what are we after? We want him to marry someone that loves God. But what do we do so many times? We take the sacredness of what God has told us to do, the sacredness of what God has instructed us to do, and we defile it with what we want. That's really what this, the issue is. They want what they want, and they don't care what God says. They decide what we want to do. They found pleasure in things outside God's biblical boundaries. That applies to marriage, but it applies to every other area in your life. Where do you get pleasure from? Gentlemen, it's hunting season. Bow season started yesterday. Nice cold drop is on. Get ready. But guess what? Most of us, when we hunt, we hunt for food to provide for our families, right? That's our excuse. To provide, we're going to provide for our families. So I'm going to spend the next 73 days in the woods hunting El Macho. <laughs> hey, now I love hunting just like the next guy. My family comes first. The Lord comes first. If you're so distracted by this is my hobby, this is all that I think about hunting season, hunting season, hunting season, tracking the weather, tracking the movements of the wind, where's the deer going, where's the deer been? We missed it. Why? Because we're taking pleasure that are in areas that are outside God's biblical boundaries. It's not wrong to hunt, but it's wrong for hunting to be your God. And yes, there's been time in the woods where I knew I was right with God. I had read my Bible. I knew that I had accomplished all the things that I had supposed to do at the house and things that I was supposed to do for my ministry, and God had given me permission. Yes, God gave me permission to be in the woods. And I'll sit there and say, Lord, you know it would be really neat? 
Remember that big 10-pointer I saw wandering around here before hunting season started? You know, there's some acorns right here on the ground. Maybe if he walked by, that wouldn't be terrible. You think, you know, you say, really, you pray? You better believe I do, and every other hunter in the room does too. <laughs> Just close enough, Lord, I want to get him. But so, t- so many times, and it, could not, it, it might not be hunting. Hey, it could be anything. It could be Facebook. It could be your favorite TV show. It could be work. It could be yourself. When we, des- when we focus on finding pleasure outside of God's biblical boundaries, we're wrong. Why? We've rejected God. You say, oh, it's not this. Yes, it is. The truth of the matter is, Israel decided to go against the direct instruction that God had given them, and they experienced the consequences. What were the consequences? They were so far from God, they didn't even know it. How do we know? Read the questions. What are you talking about? Well, God, you're off base. And this is God says, no, here's the truth. And what do we find ourselves doing so many times? Well, I love God. I read his word. I go to church. Isn't that enough? No. You ought to read Romans chapter 12, just the first couple verses. What's it say? There's a reasonable sacrifice that God expects, and all it is is your life. See, but what if I want part of my life? No. God paid for you. I'd be like, Josh going and buying a car. Josh bought a new car a couple weeks ago. Not a brand new one. Very smart with his money. All right. Um, he bought a new car. Imagine, Josh, if you bought a new car, and the, the, the guy who used to own it before said, hey, I just want to borrow the car for a couple days. I'll, I'll bring it back. I'm not going to scratch it. I just need to borrow it. Josh going to be like, no, I bought the car. I own it. And yet we do the same thing to God every day. God says, I paid for you with my life. Okay, God, I'll see you on Sunday. Okay, well, I'm going to read my Bible tomorrow morning, God. I'll see you then. And yet when God wants us to do this or to do that or to minister to this person or to give the gospel, eh, it's not a convenient time. You see, when we reject God, we accept the consequences. You choose what you do, but you cannot choose the consequences that come from that choice. And the children of Israel were experiencing the consequences. Hey, and they will continue to experience. You look at the 400 years between Malachi and the beginning of the book of Matthew, and guess what you find out? It was terrible. It's called 400 silent years. Why was it silent? The children of Israel didn't care about God. This is the last thing that God said before the Messiah came. And so this morning, let's ask a question. So what? Now, we're going to finish the rest of the questions tonight. But we've got our plate full right now. Am I resentful towards God? Is there stuff that I have in my heart that I'm holding against the Lord? Hey, listen. It's not going to be... It may... Lord willing comes right to mind. Oh, yes, Lord. I'm sorry. But it may... You may have to do some digging. Are we resenting the Lord? Are we just plain rude to the Lord? Do we not care about His holiness? We say, well, 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 we'll live any way we want. We don't really care about being respectful. We don't really care about doing this, doing that. Maybe you just do the Christian life because that's what we do. I grew up in a church just like this. I was in church before I was a year old, and I have been in a Baptist church just like this my entire life. And let me tell you, 
You can get real used to just coming to church. You say, well, Mr. Davies, you do stuff around here. I'm like, yeah, I can get in the habit of doing that. We show up at this time. We do this. After church, we go home. We eat lunch. Take a nap. Come back to church. Choir practice. Evening service. Hang out after church. Talk a little bit. Go home. And then I'm done until Wednesday. You say, no, yeah. Don't miss it. We don't want to just do things because we're supposed to. And then maybe you flat out rejected God. God said, hey, this is what you need to do. And he said, no. Now, all of you, if you're parenting correctly and your child says no to you, it's on. Try that. Thank the Lord he doesn't respond to us like we respond to our children. If we choose to say no, we accept the consequences. So what lessons are we learning from Malachi this morning? That's, that's in your heart. I can't tell you. I know what God spoke to me about even while I was preaching. What's God speaking to you about? You say, he didn't speak to me about anything. You weren't paying attention then. Or maybe this morning, you're here, but you're not a Christian. That's possible. You say, well, we're all in a Baptist church. Yep. And even Baptists can be unsaved. If you've never come to that point where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior because you knew you were not good enough to get into heaven because of the sin that inhabited and infected your life, and you haven't come to Christ to accept His free gift of salvation, today's the day. Today's the day. You say, well, I'm going to come back next week. The Bible says we don't know what tomorrow holds. You know what else the Bible says? Today is the day of salvation. 